What's up, listeners? It's Tom with the Attack Angle, the official podcast of the Georgia Dugout Club. And on tonight's episode, we got a good one. We got Coach Blake Austin of Trinity High School, Trinity Christian High School, that is. And you might know him a little bit better as Rake with Blake, but we're talking all hitting. We're raking tonight. We're talking his attack angle on developing hitting inside of his program, all the way from developing hitters to becoming a swing coach versus a hitting coach and creating lineups based on those hitters that you've created inside your program. But uh, he covers it all, and it's pretty awesome. Uh A lot of good information on tonight's episode. But also, coaches, don't forget, GHSA Rules Clinic has opened. It's open from 125 today to February 15th, so make sure you get that all done because with that Rules Clinic, guess what that means? Season is right around the corner. Um, But anyways, back to the show. I hope you guys enjoy Coach Austin, thanks so much for your time, and we appreciate it. I hope you guys enjoy. Sit back, listen, and let's go. Welcome, and we're about to get started with the eighth uh, episode of The Attack Angle. Sorry, I got distracted. I started looking at my notes and kind of got sidetracked. Uh, but we got a good one tonight, guys. We got uh, Coach Blake Austin from Trinity Christian um, School or High School. Is it okay if I say high school? I know. That's fine. Is, yeah. Um, so how's it going, Coach Austin? How are you doing? Good, man. Looking forward to it. This is going to be fun. We're going to be talking hitting tonight. Um, so first off, can you just kind of walk us through um, your playing career into uh, – you played a little uh, pro ball. Talk us about that mm-hmm. and, and how you got at Trinity Christian. Yeah, so played high school ball at Landmark Christian School and then – had the opportunity to go to Auburn University at a high school, um, played there for four years, um, and then played two and a half seasons at the Atlanta Braves before I got released, um, I guess in that February of that year. Um, yeah, and then in between transitions, um, started a summer ball school or summer ball organization called Home Plate um, in Petrie City. Uh, it's a childhood team I played for. Um, Ended up getting lucky, man. A couple guys that I knew uh, were looking for a head coach at, at Trinity Christian School. So I said, why not? 25 years old. Let's do it. I'll be a Pino School PE teacher. Let's roll. <laughs> uh, rest is history. So, And how, how many years has Trinity Christian been a school? So so our 11, 11 graduating classes. So this is our 11th um, really relatively small school, new school, new building high school we built this past, uh, this past year. Uh, yeah, for, first full year was last year during COVID. So we maximized our new facility and yeah. all the technology that comes with it. So it's kind of <laughs> unique. <laughs> so. We understand that one. And then I guess 2018 state champs, is that correct? That's right. That's yeah. correct. Hey, hey, yeah, go, ahead, brag, no, go ahead and brag about it. Like we're, we're not here to shy away from things. So, hey, we, we want to hear. Man. We want to hear I've all the good things. So, so go ahead that. and talk about it. So. Yeah, so that's my first year. A lot of those guys I'd coached when they were young kids, 12 and 13-year-olds. I got lucky with that group. Um, the coach that previous was there was a, was very uh, very disciplined in some areas that I took advantage of. Um, I got to come in and, and really basically just be a hitting guy and just talk with kids and, and uh, kind of reprogram their brains. And, and, yeah, man, we were 26 and 1 that year. Um, we hit 90-something home runs. I mean, it was it was one of them years. Um, two or three power five guys on that team. Yeah. Guys everywhere. So just kind of got lucky with that group. Well, I guess, I guess kind of talking about being the hitting guy those first couple of years and then rolling into the head coaching um, kind of leads us into that first question that we had when, um, 
you know, Coach Turco was on, on one of our first episodes and we started talking about a guy that teaches hitting versus teaching the swing. Um, where do you kind of fall in that reign or are you a combination of both or do you lean more on one or the other and, and kind of just walk us through that process? I mean, I think that any, I think in today's baseball coach, I think that you have to know both. I think you need to know, I mean, let's describe both first. Hitting coaches to me are the guys that talk purely approach oriented, uh, practice plan oriented, game based oriented people. Um, guys per se that, that really take a, a swing coach's ideas and, and really Hirsch Toko is really good. Hirsch Toko, I don't know how you say it. Um, but I, I listened to that one. He, I mean, he was really good at utilizing the swing coach of those kids up there, um, whoever their swing coach guy is, and just kind of blending it in with his uh, approach ideas and his practice plans, his training methods. And it's kind of where I think you have to be if you want to be successful at either level. Um, and either side of it, the private instructor uh, industry type or, or the hitting guy that's in the more of a, of a, of a team-based atmosphere, I personally think I fall into both. I think that um, I'm really good with the mechanical side of things um, and, and then translating it into our kids in a game atmosphere, one-on-one situation stuff, um, and just constantly talking and communicating with them about, I mean, gosh, there's so many, there's so many situations that happen in the game that, that that can buy your time that you need to give time to and <clears throat> honing in on a, a mechanic isn't necessarily the best thing, you know, fixing their mindset would be better. It'd be more beneficial instead of beating your head against the wall. Uh, so, I mean, I think you have to be both. I think that that's the new trend. I think you have to know some data. You have to know some of the swing stuff. And um, if you want to be, I guess, successful in the sense that you can connect to your kids and get them to do what you're asking them to do. Absolutely. Um, go ahead, Matt. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. if you don't mind me hopping in there, I think it's interesting. You talk about being a little bit of both. Um, I think it's kind of – you almost can't have one without the other in, in a competitive environment. Um, you know, it's easy to go create the guy that's blowing up the radar gun or, or, you know, create the guy that can go ground ball, line drive, fly ball, that kind of thing. Um, but – Really, if you're going to build a repeatable swing, we have to have good fundamentals and good mechanics. When you first get a kid and a, or a kid walks in, maybe you walked into uh, you walked into Trinity that first time and there were some basics that you wanted to uh, to really harp on as important. What are some of the fundamentals that you focus on when building a swing? So to me, the first thing that, that, that needs to be done and this, I got some seven points that I, I'll describe those when we go, I guess, when that question is asked. But um I look for the athletic setup. I look for guys to be athletic. Um, and if they don't look athletic to me, um, that's when I go in and I ask them questions. I ask them how they feel. Kind of the generic, really generic questions, you know. Um, just the normal, typical swing that I see here is the one that just doesn't have the intent to do some damage and violence into it. They don't want to do it. Um, they just kind of, whether that's a mechanical thing, a thought process, that's something that you have to kind of dig out of them. But um, the first thing I, I look from is the ground up. I mean, that's, if you want to talk the first swing mechanic thing, um, I'll look at their feet and how they, how they react to the ground, how they react to how they're decelerating the path of the swing, if their body can handle it. Um, if they can't, man, they're going to get up getting hurt as they grow. Um, now, the unique thing about Trinity is I can see these kids when they're sixth graders. Um, I can see them move around in, in different areas, and um, I kind of know who – physically is aware of some spatial awareness 
guys that aren't guys that um that need some help in that area um it's funny we did a middle school tryout i got some young interns who were college guys and they're asking me what i'm looking at a sixth grader for that's i'm looking for a pattern i'm looking for if they grow you know because they will they'll get bigger they're going to get faster they're going to get stronger if the pattern's there then it's just going to build into that swing into that pattern and it's just going to be a little easier for the coach to kind of settle in on um so I guess to answer your question, looking for that elite pattern from the ground up, um, and it starts there, athletic setups, number one. It's got to be athletic. I think it's your athleticism. And I agree 100% athleticism. I mean, you can take an athlete and really kind of mold him in anything, in any sport, um, right. with the correct motivation. You take an athlete and you get a little bit of aggression, and somebody who understands their body and has that awareness, it, they kind of mold themselves. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. so we put them in a situation, maybe put some constraints on them, put them in a situation where we ask them to do things and their body has a way of figuring it out. Um, That's right. So, you know, harp on that athlete, get that athlete, get him out there, get him playing the game and put him in positions and, and they'll figure it out. That's kind of That's fun right. to watch. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have the athlete, it's like we have a unique situation. I've got two kids who don't play summer ball. So, I mean, you look at you look at that world and that that environment like those kids probably don't survive in an elite type of high school program. I mean, I don't consider us elite, but we're ranked top five or top 10 every year. So maybe we've got some talented players. And I've got two kids that start for us who lead us in batting average every year that don't play summer ball. And I'll take that kid because I can build them into exactly what, you know, thought process. There's no, you know, I don't have to rebuild language. I don't have to rebuild mechanics. I can just implement and implement and grow and grow. So the years after years, they just stack up. I mean, so there's – you don't have to play summer ball to be really, really good. And I think that needs to be kind of stated because a lot of the parents, man, they just – and kids, they just kind of freak out. And they get so so weirded out about they have to do it now. And they don't. Well, It takes time to hit. It takes time to process. It takes time for all that. T- touching on that summer ball whole idea, a lot of kids, you know, have, have a coach like you or you know, any type of coach that they're working with year-round – and they're in those, you know, off-season training time. And the big, the big word that you threw out there was language, having that constant language mm-hmm. of that mutual language that you both understand. So as you're working through that swing, you can use that language and he can refer to that. When he gets away from it a lot of times, it goes to those summer, you know, uh, summertime is all about you getting your swing off, looking good. Yeah. But a lot yeah. of times kids get into slumps because they're trying to do too much and they lose that language. They lose that connection with the coach that they've been working with all year. And, you know, we've had plenty of kids that actually taken summers off and decided to go play football, you know, and instead of focusing yeah. all summer on baseball and kind of forgetting those bad habits and then referring back to that language when they come back in the off season. And I'm the pitching That's guy. Right. I'm just saying what I see from, from a backside, you know, just kind of. I mean, you going, guys know, I mean, you, guys are, you guys are really talented every year. You guys deal with a lot of stuff athletically, you know, football, baseball guys playing elite summer stuff. So. I mean, I always said there's a couple ways. Like, my high school coach really didn't – he didn't talk swing. He didn't talk that stuff. But he just lets you play. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that either, you know, just taking some athletes and let them just figure it out on their own. You know, you got some guys that just want to implement things. They want to do this. They want to do that. And it just kind of puts kids in a weird area, in a weird space. So, I, I try not to do that. I got all kinds of facilities around us. Um we have three owners in our in our school of facilities in our area that all play on our team. So there's philosophies everywhere, and 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 taking that language and which is good. I, I've done the work to understand their language, 
to help our kids to move it clear more clearly for them without having to bang my head against the wall every five seconds. Yeah. So. And, and that's part of it is understanding your players. Who are the players that yeah. respond well to – who are the players that respond well to that direct communication? Who are the ones who respond better if you just kind of say, hey, this is what we need to do and get out of their way a little bit and let them, execute, right. let them be athletes versus the kid who needs that – maybe needs a little extra video analysis, maybe needs a little extra data to kind of make sense versus, you know, you're a great athlete that you just get out of their way and let them do their thing. You know? That's weird you say that because we took – you know, we, we invested in the blast motion – um, last year, which the COVID kind of, it really helped us, but it, you know, it kind of hindered us on the surface, but it really helped us mend the gap in the transparency of, of, of player to player. It's like I had a kid that was, you know, he had 11 home runs. He's going to Mercer. He's a 95, 96 arm, big kid, 63. Like everybody fears him, but everybody respects him. You know, he respects the things he does. Well, I took a, I took three players and he's one of them and I blurred their names out and it was two of our younger our younger guys who were developing the program and they just didn't have that confidence like that kid did. And I just asked him, I said, who do you think's who, you know, the numbers of the bat speed and all that kind of stuff. And, and it, to a man, they thought that the higher bat speed, the higher numbers were our guy. And it wasn't, it wasn't at all. It wasn't even close. Like we had two players that I put on there that had more of the bat speed, more of the stuff technology wise than that big time player. So I just told him, like, it, it's between your ears. This guy thinks he's that good. That's why he's that good. So a lot of the technology pieces, you, you know, you have, you don't have to be just data, 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 data. You don't have to dump it on them. You just take it in, in transparency with them and, and show them, hey, man, like, you are that good, like, per the numbers. Yeah. You know, like, on paper, <laughs> you know, like, go be it. Absolutely. And that's another example. Of, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that there's – neither extreme is a good thing, right? No. If you're extreme hitting coach, it's it's not going to be as, as good as possible. If you're extreme swing coach, you're not going to be as good as possible. If you're 100% data versus 100% no data, it, no extreme is going to give you the best outcome. And, uh -huh. and, you know, we've already talked about three examples of that right now. So I, I love hearing how it's blended together. Agreed. And you can absolutely you? mess with somebody's mind too if they're, if they're the type of kid that is just out there – that just normally just gets their swing off. And then all of a sudden you start talking to them about, Hey, this number and this number. And they're like, uh, right. and, then and they can't swing anymore. Like paralysis by analysis, like, uh Oh, Data do overload. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and like we talked about it, some kids can handle it and some kids can't. Um, and, yeah. and then it goes back to also with the data, you have to know how to use it. It's not a teaching source, but it's also, a great justification of what you're trying to implement when you are going through stuff. Um, I, I think there's got to, you right. know, it shows change and it gives a number for a kid to buy into what you're, you're, you're selling. Cause a lot of times, like what, what is, you have a kid that hits five balls and you go, Oh, great swing, great swing, great swing. Well, what is a great swing or what does a great right. swing look like? And you know, the great thing is those numbers allow you to look at those and see what they, what a great swing in what you're teaching looks like. So, right. And they keep hearing great swing, great swing. And they're like, well, Joe's not getting the same amount of great swings as I am, but Joe's starting over me. Well, that's because yep. Joe hits at 95 and you hit at 82. It's a good <laughs> swing for you, but it's <laughs> yeah. like, like you're, you're doing a great job swinging, but now you need to get stronger and you need to get faster. Like we use it. We use it because I say great miss a lot of the times. And the guys just kind of look at me weird. You know, and I probably say that more than I say great swings because I'm all about the misses. And 
I had to go back and show him, like, hey, this is a good miss. You just chose the wrong ball. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with swing. It's just <laughs> choosing the right pitch. You know, good miss. So it's the number one rule of hitting, right? Get a good pitch to hit or swing at a good pitch. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Sounds easy. So, yeah, I think so. Kind of kind of walk us through how, how nice is it having those sixth graders out there to be able to kind of implement all the things that you want to teach and, and how, the, how does it look like for a kid that grows from the sixth grade to when they leave your program? So this is my fourth year. So this sixth grade bunch, this eighth graders that I have that are playing ninth grade for us, um, they were that fifth grade group jumping to sixth grade when I came in. And man, they, you know, they won two, two cha- state championships in that middle school. Um, and you just kind of like, these kids are big, they're physical kids. We have a unique situation with the Little League program that the Little League, Petrie City League, Little League kids, they tend to come to our school. So the Jace Playlocks of the world play Little League. The Ty Peets, they come to our school. Um, the past Little League, the Georgia team, we had nine of those kids on our on that roster on our high school, on our middle school team. Um, and we just add pieces along as we go. Um, so what does it look like? We, we As a sixth grader, those kids are, are along for the ride per se. Um kind of show them the ropes, show them the practice plan, show them how we do things, integrate some of the technology as we go, integrate some of the things at a very, very slow pace. Um, and it's all practice-oriented. Don't care about the games. Um, they spend probably five to six, seven hours in, in, in practice time just in certain areas before we move into a hitting or move into a base running or something like that. Then we just kind of go over and over and over again. Then they move into the seventh grade, and then that's when the physicality starts to present itself. That's when we have to really do a good job, the, the fundamentals of what we teach as a sixth grade, because when they get physical, man, they lose it. It's just because they're growing. They're just tripping over themselves. They can't, you know, they don't know how far the ground is because they're stretching so high. Um, so it's just kind of a unique space for them. Um, and I just kind of let them do their thing. Um, that's when it's more game-related. Go win games. Go have fun. Um, I know you're playing a million games in spring, um, so we're not going to – we're just going to control some areas. Now, this group decided they didn't want to play middle school as an eighth grader. They wanted to be a part of the development team – sorry, as a seventh grader. They didn't want to be a part of that team. They want to be in development only. So that's a unique – when a kid comes to you, that's a unique, uh, it's a unique opportunity um, to say, hey, coach, I don't want any part of the practices. I want to be a part of development. I want the whole high school. I want to get ready for – trying out as a ninth grader, as an eighth grader, um, and I want to do that. Well, I had eight of them. Um, so eight of those kids came to me and said, hey, man, you know, coach, I want to do this, 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 and this so I can get ready for high school season. Heck, yeah, I'm in. You know, so I had an administration that came to me and, and made a plan, and I got out of school a little bit early to go help them, and, and from two to four, that's all they did. You know, we went at a faster pace with those kids, and, and man, it really shows. Like, those kids – they're, they play on a top five team and their spring teams, and, and, man, they're really good. They're really talented. Um, they're physical kids, but they don't, look, uh, they don't look like a typical eighth grader. You know, they kind of handle maturity-wise. Um, I think that speaks to our culture. Um, so, yeah, so they only played really one year of middle school baseball, and I've had them for three. Um, they're going to play a high school, a ninth grade team, and, and most of them are going to be on the JV team. And, um it's kind of a unique watching their patterns and, and stuff revert back to some of that stuff we talked about as a sixth grader and adding the physicality, which is really, really awesome. 
That, that's I mean here hearing that kind of makes me a little jealous just because of the language. So, so we <laughs> yeah. were we were in the cage today and and Coach Leslie, our head coach, uh, yells at one of the kids, "Hey, quit cutting it!" You know, and, and so kids up there swinging and ripping ripping out of the zone, whatever. And so we just call it cutting it. That's how we refer to it. And you're cutting the ball, cutting the ball, cutting the ball, and kid kind of nodded. You know, the coach is talking yeah. to me. You know, he nods and he runs out of the cage. Yeah. Like, but you know what he's talking about? Cuttings. No, sir. So, you know, I'd go over to explain it to them. And, but those are things that you've already done when they're six, yeah. seven. You've already had the advantage of doing that. And it's got to make things easier as, as they move. Man, I, you know, and we take them. Um, I had Jace Blaylock, who is he's going to Georgia Tech. He's been all over ESPN. Um, he was an eighth grader by himself playing as a JV team my first year. He's just that talented. Problem is, is he's still 13, 14 years old mentally. So, he, even a Jace, it was tough for him to understand that, hey, man, I just want you to be Jace Playlock. Like, you don't have to be, you know, this power five guy over here in our, our varsity team that you're hanging out with. Um, so the next year after that, I've got a five-star DB that plays football. Um, he's on our – he's our shortstop. Um, he's really, really talented. He's his godfather. Uh, they're related to, to Jace Playlock's um, family. So it's super unique, super – but he was the only eighth grader that doing it. Um, and then you add in this year's eighth grade, I got eight of them, you know, like they're going to look around and, and there's somebody else that's going through the same process. Um, and we spent, and my staff, man, I give them credit. They did a lot of, a lot of the legwork there, the day-to-day stuff and, and dealing with parents, communications and, you know, raising the sizes of the, of the roster size that we had to raise just to do it, um, to create that ninth grade team and space for them to, to, to do them. So a lot of it's being a young small admin type of school where they can be adjustable and accept the growth and, you know, really on the baseball side of things, kind of create some more relationships. And I've got fifth graders wanting to try out, <laughs> you know, we can't, we can't accept that, you know, so, um, it's cool, man. It's, you know, the other County schools don't do that. Um, so we, we like to think that's an advantage for us. And um, we, we get a lot of those kids at the seventh, eighth grade to transfer in and they just never leave. Um, just because they want to reclass or, or grades or virtual or, or school in general, you know, or some of them want coming for religion reasons, which is, is awesome too. You know, you get that side of things and, and it's, when you hear that, it's a really rare, rare situation. And those kids are normally really, really, really good because they don't really, they could go play it anywhere. Yeah. You know, they want some other stuff, you know, so it's cool. <laughs> That's all right, it sounds like you got an awesome culture too that just kind of you know it keeps building upon itself. So that that, that yep. helps out a lot as well. Okay. All right, so swing swing back to you uh, kind of alluded to your seven steps. Give us your seven yeah. steps, kind of like how you go about building a hitter. So we started with the, the athletic setup. That's number one. Now I came up with this stuff. Been talking about it for a while. Um, had some older guys in the quarantine time. It really helped me uh, organize it out. Um, so number one is the athletic setup. You have to be athletic. Um, you have to, it has to look athletic to you and to me, um, as we move forward. Um, and then the number two is be on time all the time. Um, if you're athletic and you're on time with that swing, I can teach you the rest, but those first two bullet points, when we sit down and do any kind of hitting clinic or anything hitting, those are the first two that get mentioned and you have to master them before we dig deep into the mechanical, you know, rabbit holes per se. Um, so number three is the coil load sequencing is what I call it. Um, 
you can call it load, you know, old school terms, it doesn't really matter. But I, I prefer to be coil um, because the way that you go about that um, is going to help uh, your way out of it. Um, if you're inefficient moving in, you're probably going to be inefficient moving out. That's a rare pattern that can do that. Uh, Randy Rosarina did some of that early on, but cleaned it up um, with, with the COVID stuff that he had available to him. Um, and he just got bigger at the same time. But number four is the heel connection. Um, once you hit the ground, when your heels hit, are they on the ground? Are they, you know, your right heel up, your left heel up? Like, be on the ground, accept the energy of the ground that, you, that, that it can give you. Um, number five is your initial move. Um, from your launch position. Um, what kind of direction are you in? I call it the pull-down phase. You know, the whole launch angle era, um, there's not a lot of people talking about you really have to swing the knob first down um, before you can elevate it back up. Um, so I heard something in golf that really stuck with me. Um, the club is going to send it, right? So our bat, the barrel, that's the velocity. You know, there's not much you're going to be able to do about it. Um, that's just physical tools, physical ability to barrel it up. Um, your posture is going to bend it, right? So if you want to elevate balls, if your posture is standing straight up, it'll never happen. You know, if you're into your, your hip hinges and you're into your lines and you're into your direction, man, you're, you're going to launch balls the way you want to launch them. It just depends on what your exit velocity is, is if you're a home run guy or not, um, to me. And we go through that with our kids, and we'll talk about that process. But, um, and then it's just the maintaining it six, maintaining your posture through your barrel presentation. So at contact and your launch position, are you maintaining – that posture in your spine from the ground. So if I drew a line through you, you know, straight up and down from, from the side angle, this is swing guy, right, by the way. It's not hitting guy. <laughs> so swing guy would say if I'm from a side angle, <laughs> looking you, cutting you down, are you maintaining your angles as you present the barrel? Are you losing areas? I always look from the ground and watching the feet. You know, there's some inefficiencies there. Can he present some barrel back? Is he strong enough? That's why you always find those attributes in those kids like, hey, this looks really ugly, but when his feet are down, man, this looks really, really good. You know, there's elite movements in here I'm not going to touch. Um, so when I was a younger coach, that's the phase where I would lose. I would lose a lot of it there because I would just say, hey, it doesn't look good to my eye. Um, he can't hit like that. Um, as in I grow and I grow and I grow and have some Eric Cressy influences and some different influences, and, and it really helped me understand, like, each spot is unique. Each timing mechanism is unique really breaking into the sections really, really helped me kind of as a hitting, you know, swing guy. Um, the last one is you, um, <laughs> your deceleration path. So how you decelerate the barrel. Um, I learned this from when I was coaching a second rounder uh, a couple years ago. He had some arm issues. He's a left-handed hitter, right-handed thrower. Um, the way he was deceleration the barrel, the way it was, you know, slowing down was biting on him, biting on his hip up here and his impingement syndrome and some stuff like that with his arm. So once we cleaned up the swing path, velocity arm kind of came back. Now, it could have been by chance, but we've done it with a lot of other kids that have arm issues in some areas. Um, so when you have elite hand speed, you're going to have to elite, like, decelerate that barrel. Um, you're going to have to be able to do that or it's going to eat you alive physically. And that goes um, back to so, any time. Yeah, you can only be as fast as, as fast as you can slow it down. So That's right. Yep. But, so those are the seven. Um, each one carries its own. Uh, rabbit hole each one carries its own approach to it um, so if you're coiling the way you know as an approach if you're trying to be a, a guy if you tell me you walk in and say hey I want to be you know a gap to gap line drive hitter okay well why do you have a donkey like it you know why are you 
lifting baseballs? Why are you choosing certain balls? What's your approach? Um, so each each one kind of carries a layer of the approach inside of it. The heel connection to me, if you're getting off the ground, um, if you're getting that heel connection and you're staying in direction, man, like it's very hard to beat. That's just physically your engine's not big enough to drive the ball you way you want to drive it. You know, so that's where we get to that engine. You know, yeah. let, can let we build ask, the engine or do we have to build mechanics? Let me ask you this. Is there uh, of these movements uh, while we're on like kind of the, the build the engine type thing? Do you wait for certain points to teach these things when they are physically enough or, you know, are is there or if they're are you just showing it to them and hope they grow into it? Or is it like how, how is it? So let's take rest, that. I guess. So let's take that sixth grade mentality. Right. We'll start there and I'll show you how I do a high school kid or an older kid. So the sixth graders, I, typically it's the bigger barrels in their hands. I'll hand them a bigger bat, see how they react to that. So you have them in an overload barrel, see how they react to their body. If they can make an a, adjustment with their body with it, that tells me that I could teach that kid probably an elite pattern. You know, not not to a higher level language wise, but I could teach them, hey, we're going to choose this ball because you can do this instead of doing this with that pitch. Or, you know, hey, you're probably a good two strike hitter. So why are you swinging early in the count? Like in, unless you're getting it off really well. Um, so we start introducing that stuff in sixth grade, start to show them and track their swing pass video wise, blast motion we introduce to them just to kind of have that data there. Um, so when we make changes, when they physically grow, maybe those swing changes can't happen. Maybe that you have to stay in a certain window. Maybe, maybe, you know, whatever that may be, maybe that's why I don't like the sixth grade introducing a ton of language to them. Just certain things that I know, Hey, like later on, this guy's gonna have to do this. You know, you got to hit checkpoints at certain times. So now if I have an older kid, now I always, I always talk to older kids like this. It's very, very difficult at 16 and on when you're physically maturing, when you're getting faster to make some of these changes right away. Um, it is a more of a mental capacity thing, what they can handle in their language. If I have to reboot them, um, you know, I, I, I make fun of some LaGrange kids. I took their three and four hole hitters um, and basically redid them. Um, the COVID helped, but, you know, you have their all-time hit leader. You have the all-time home run leader that's coming in and wants to make some changes. And you talk to the head coach, like, hey, you know, we're doing some of these things. Like, let's talk language. So I can – the mechanics are one thing, but when they go back to school, like, okay, need to make sure that the language is correct so I can help them understand which way or the other. Um, maybe it's an approach thing. Maybe it's a mental thing. Maybe it's blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's always harder with those kids to make adjustments. And I, this is where this is built through. If they don't match master the number one and number two, I don't touch them mechanically because that's just not going to work. You know, and I tell them all the time, like, Vlad had the worst swing in the world. Well, Vlad could be in the Hall of Fame or should be in the Hall of Fame. You know, you don't have to have an elite swing pattern, per se, to be an elite hitter. Um, it's just I give them two options. I say, hey, look, we can fix this, or we build an approach that band-aids your hole. And that's okay. Like, that's a, that's a thing, too. Um, so I had a unique chance to work with Coach Sheet, some of his guys from Georgia Gwinnett that come down. And they're just physical animals. These kids are six, 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 seven. They've got some mechanical their body's not allowing them to do. Um, so you match his organizational approach with some mechanical changes, and you keep everybody in the loop. I mean, you're looking at at some animals hitting balls in some areas that you just they don't ever they've never seen before. Um, which it's 
to me, the older it gets, it's more mental. The younger it is, it's more physical, mechanical, stuff like that. Um, and you can make the changes. The older kids is, is once the language gets clean. Uh, I love what you said about the Band-Aid. Um, you yeah. know, there, especially in high school, I think in high school, we use approach to, as a Band-Aid uh, more often than not because we just don't have a ton of time with kids who are multi-sport right. athletes. Uh, you got kids that play football, um, and you don't really see them in four-on-ones until, you know, near Christmas break or whenever the, whenever they get done with the playoffs. And point, we can't make mechanical adjustments in a, in a short amount of time, so we have to basically cater the approach that he's going to have in season to what he's good at, what his strengths are. Um, That's right. And a lot of kids don't know that, you know. What, is, yeah. what pitch do you handle the best? Um, what, what's your best approach to take? And they go – uh, I hit the yeah. outside ball. <laughs> uh, right. Actually, no, you don't handle that, you know, and, and so I think that's really important to start thinking about what are the kids we're working with? How much time do we have with them to make mechanical adjustments or do we just slightly change the approach, push up on the dish and let's just go hard turn until yeah. we can figure it out, you know, um, that's right. and so there's I'll, nothing I'll wrong with that. Yeah. you know, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that either. You know, we have some small school, we have to deal with two sport athletes. So, so part of, Part of what bugs me is I think it's controllable by the language. I think it's controllable by certain areas. You don't have to come in there and, and bang balls out, you know, mechanically to fix it. Most of those kids are playing two sports. They're superior athletes. You know, you just put them mentally in a space, they'll self-organize it out. It's just a matter of being on the same page. I've learned that the hard way, you know, with some of the kids that play both sports. Um, I mean, heck, we had practice today. The shortstop is, is a five-star animal. You know, he's he's six-one and he runs a four-four and jumps out of the gym and he hit some of the balls today that I've, I've I haven't seen in a long time. You know, <laughs> and it's ugly. It's an ugly swing, but by gosh, he puts barrel to it, man, and it explodes. You know, and what do you do? You know, tell him to be an athlete. Let him run. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> 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 an athlete. Yeah. You look for this right. pitch and you go with it. Yeah. <laughs> is there, is, so when you teach something, is there like a number of swings you think it takes to get to that development? Or is it just kind of like, do some guys grasp, grasp it earlier? Or are you working for, you know, is it, what, what's the transition time in your mind? So a buddy of mine from Kentucky, all-time hit leader there, now he's two or three um, all-time since then. But, he was with JT Ritter, I think his name is. He's played with the Miami Marlins, um, pretty good player, lefty barrel. Um, I played against him, but I didn't know him. Um, he told me a story one time, and I read his article. It's published, but um, takes 200 to 250 swings a day to fix something is what he would say. Um, we, we do that at Trinity. I like our kids to get 200 swings a day. Um, but, again, output over, you know, is it worth it getting that much output out of your players? I don't think it was. Um, now, I think we are reaping some of that stuff. We're lucky, I think, by chance of that. Um, you know, I think that if you can – we have access to a hit track. Um, we have access to that, that, that technology inside in the cage um, when it rains. You know, right now, <laughs> you know, this whole week's probably going to be a wash for us. Um, so, most high schools, you know, don't have technology like that and we have there's a camera that's up there that, that shows a slow-mo of of the the swing they had before um it's on a 10 second loop um it loops it back so instead of us taking 100 swings we may take 50 you know 50 hit one watch it 
make the adjustment, watch it. You know, it takes time. It, it's not something that, you know, and I'll be honest with you, our, our defense, our defense isn't the best in the world. You know, our offense is we average 10 to 12 runs a game. We cover up a lot of defensive errors um, because of that. Um, you know, our pitching was sliding a little bit, so I bought a rap soto um, to really help them. Uh, I say I bought a pitching coach, <laughs> the rap soto. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so, um, but, I, you know, being lucky with that and having to re-engineer with that, that aspect, um, like I told you guys, they're building arsenals against us. Um, so I, that sounds like warfare to me. Yeah. Um, so re-engineering that, teaching our kids the same and unique small school area, that's what you get. You get kid pitchers being two-way players and, you know, and you got rare POs and, and you just have to teach everything all at once. And it, it's taken a lot of time, a lot of late nights, a lot of the wife saying, hey, you need to come home, you know, a lot of that stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, Band-Aids is, is nothing wrong with that. There's nothing, you know, I think that gets mixed in with a lot of uh, – you know, have to do it this way. You don't have to do it that way. You know, you just take the special animal. Well, and I think the uh, the instant gratification that we get or the instant information that we get gets these kids to think that, you know, you told me what to do. I should be able to do it in 10 swings. Like, no, I always go back to the Justin Turner, like remodeling his whole swing. Oh. And, and all there of a sudden go. he starts hitting 20 plus homers a year. And it's like, no, do you understand that Justin Turner spent like 400 hours just trying right, to read 700, 700 swings a day for yeah. seven days a week for three so, months? I mean, like, Come that, on. That guy, to remodel his swing, it took him yeah. hundreds of hours like and thousands of swings. And you're expecting that, hey, I told you to do this adjustment, and in 10 swings it's going to be fixed? Like, uh, no, that's not happening, buddy. Sorry. This right. is not going to happen. I told I tell some of those kids that want to make some of those changes. Like we had a couple of pro guys come in and they, they mentioned some of that stuff, you know, well, just turn it to business. Mike, well, first off, everybody comes to that point as a hitter where you have to make changes to get to where you want to go. Right. I mean, Justin Turner was a freak out of Cal state. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like he wasn't athletic. He just got hindered in some spots, you know, with his swing that were just unlocked. You know, there's no way that you could duplicate what he did, even through his coach that he has out there in California, we sent some guys there. They're, he's smart. But you have to be Justin Turner to to do some of that stuff. Um, and I just don't believe in, in, hey, here's Mike Trout. Here's you. Go be like Mike Trout. You know, it just, it's just hard. It's hard for me to fathom that, you know. But most guys and some guys do that. So. I need you to be 6'3", 235 right. pounds. I need you to run a 4'6". Like, I need you to do all I this stuff. And then you'll, like you'll be Mike Trout. Do it. Yeah, go be go look like Ray Lewis on the baseball field. <laughs> you know, so. Well, yeah. I mean, the the other thing that I love hearing is is just about the video. I mean, the kids, I think, also helps fast track the development. If you know, once the language is established, you can give the video to the kid and allow him to watch it. And and our coaches do an awesome job of filming everything on Huddle um, from a hitting mm -hmm. standpoint. And those guys can go back and watch swings and, and, and we're, we're going to get into pitch count here in a little bit, but also like, like coach Kelly was talking about earlier, is just like how many kids say, Oh, I handle the outside fastball, but they go back and watch it. And it's a pitch on the inside dish that they're hitting, but because their swing doesn't translate and they're slicing through the ball and they're pulling off, they think that looks like an outside pitch as they pull off, but it's really inside. And it's the only thing they can handle. Uh, 
it's incredible when you sit down and you re- and I ask all these questions when we do when I meet that's unique about I'm a high school coach also coaching the summer world so I get to meet a lot of different hitters you know and the first conversations are always great because they don't know me I don't know them very well you know they haven't spent a bunch of time in the hours in the cages you just ask them like hey you know what what pitch can you drive if I ask you to drive a double like what pitch are you going to handle ah oh, middle ball or the end ball or you know, up and away or like, they're not throwing balls there. Yeah. Like, good luck, dude. Like how long are you going to wait till two strikes? <laughs> you know, like you got to have, so when we build mechanics, like you talk about these seven things, I always build mechanics, the posture, heel connection, the coil. I'm going to give one of my secrets away, but that's fine. But um, all those seven are all uh-huh. directed towards, they're all directed towards the angles of the outside corner black pitch. Okay. So, the way I describe it is that front shoulder, your front shoulder, if you're coiling correctly, right, you're going to see space between the outside corner and your front shoulder if it's done correctly. And then it's about maintaining up top while you're unloading underneath. Um, so take it for what it is, but I believe in a lot of the body is symmetrical. Um, I have a right side, you have a left side, your heart's on one side, your lungs are on one side, and, you know. So you have that ability to cut them in corners. Um, and, and the plate is, you know, 17 inches. It ain't moving anywhere. Um, you know, the angles of the pitch. So we offset a lot of, of, of pitches for our kids to understand that. Um, old school term is you hear a lot of the, the, the side turn and the back of the numbers. Um, Dante Bichette talks about a lot about that. Um, the deep of the barrel. Um, you know, all that stuff plays into you have to be able to handle an on-time fastball on the corner. You have to. It's just part of the game. Um, you know, if he misses in on an OO pitch, you know, I had a rule and I've taken it out of our, of our hitting because I just don't, I've become to the, <laughs> I've come to the point in the hitting career that creating rules for hitters hinders this kind of hitter, um, this generational of a hitter. Um, you know, I had an OO mindset that I, you have to pass on a fastball. If it is a fastball and he calls it for strike, and I don't care if it's two balls outside. If he's calling that a strike that day, that's a strike. We can't let it pass um, without a, a, either a really good take or um, a foul ball or we put it in play. Um, and that's hurt, hurt us defensively a little bit just because it puts us one, two, three innings. Um, our guys aren't really prepared as much. Um, and, you know, a lot of the times, well, you're on deck. What are they doing on deck? What are they doing in the dugout? Come on, man. They're 15, 16, 17-year-old kids. Like, the last thing I want them to do is sit there and, and try to be A-Rod in the box because they're not, you know? Like, the best chance I have is a Jace Blaylock walking in there knowing that his practice time, that his BP time, and all the work he's put in, it ain't going to matter if he's sitting in the box. He's just watching pitches and looking at shapes, watching the, the hitter react to the pitcher's stuff, the pitcher reacting to the situation, looking for body language, looking for all kinds of stuff. You hear a lot of, like, the coach from, uh, I think, Pope was talking about that. You know, like, some vision training, some other stuff. Well, no one really talks about, like, body language of the pitcher in a situation or what pitches he's throwing when a guy's in scoring position. Like, how do you teach that if you're always worried about, you know, whiteboard stuff or approach stuff or, you know, changes in, in swing counts and, like, all that stuff. So, I don't – you know, I give our chance, our kids, I told them two days ago, you know, on Saturday, look, Oh, well, I don't care what you do. Numbers will tell you. Pitchers are going to throw. It's a 50-50 chance. You know, in the big leagues, Mike Trout swings at 44% of the first pitches. Who cares? 
It's information. You know, like that is an information pitch and you can, you're a pitcher. We want to get ahead. Okay, that's fine. I don't really care how you get in the head and no one's on versus when someone's at second base shows me what your stuff is, period. If, I, if I've got Jace Block in the box, and we'll talk about organizational lineup, this is why the lineup matters to me. Um, if I've got Jace Blaylock and I've got Ty P behind them and I got a guy at second base with speed, you'll show me what your best pitch is right away, what you think you're going to get out or what you think you can not get hit hard. And then it puts us in those windows of, I know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. Execution matters. If we have to make you execute that much over four or five minutes, we got you. And it's just a matter of time, and we'll wait you out and hold you out. Um, so, I mean, I don't even know what the first original question was, but <laughs> we just get we just get these holes, man. No, that's, that's fantastic because you start thinking about that, and everybody has tendencies, right? Whether it's the pitcher or the guy calling the pitches. Uh, you know, every every human has tendencies. And the sooner we can figure out those tendencies, well, now we've taken a 50-50 what's coming to now it's 70-30. So I can go up there confident and I can be very, very, or pretty sure, very confident that this pitch is coming in this situation and then I can unload. And, and when I get in plus counts and I know what's coming and I can put my best swing on it, that's when I do damage and that's what creates momentum. And that's right. that, that momentum's powerful with these age kids. Yeah, I mean, if you if you take a, you know, Trotsky baseball talks a lot about in the defensive world. You know, the defensive mindset is like there's 15 seconds. Well, I've got 10 things to think about shortstop before the next pitch. Okay, well, if the, if, if they're being trained that, which it's doable, we teach our kids that defensively. Um, like our hitters, it changes every single pitch. Like it just it's just different. The more we can put pressure and execution the better we're going to be, you know, and that's, we preach it. We, 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 it is a, we understand momentum when the time is and when the time's now, when it's not, you know, this is the chance for us in this inning. If it, we don't get it done, we're probably not going to get it done. Um, and that, that's pressure, but it's also, or we can feel it like things are turning. Like if we had done this, you know, if we had maybe taken that 50, 50 ball, put them in that situation, that count, maybe, we get a runner that's running, maybe we get that ball. Like, you just don't know, you know? And so we, we constantly preach it down to the sixth graders, you know? And we, we don't do much of this offensive, you know, the whole thing. But we, we talk to them about the situation offensively, how it affects the defense, how it affects the pitching staff, how it affects the entire game per inning, um, you know? And the best thing about us is we've, we've kind of honed in. My coaching staff really bought into it. Now, I'm the only guy under 30, so on my coaching staff. Um, I've got a guy, two guys that are in their late to early 60s that started the program back when. Um, I've got a middle school coach that's in the 50 range. And I've got two guys that are in their mid-40s, late 40s that, that have younger kids on the team. Um, so I'm the youngest one, so I, I have a lot of energy, a lot of um, organizational about the offense. Well, they kind of reel me in on, hey, you need to tell them exactly why – certain pitches need to be taken why certain counts we need to go why those situations matter because you're sitting here talking to us about it and we're going <laughs> you need to tell them <laughs> you know like you need to go in there and tell them like hey you know because i always walk around with a notebook like my grandfather did it military thing um graphic paper i just walk around I just write stuff down um about certain things that like man man if we had done this i like, think about the pressure we 
and it's just putting it together and just showing it to them rather than a chart, you know, or, or uh, after a bat chart, you know, because we did that too, where we'd come in and have them guys sit down and talk situations, and, and it shows the brain how they think, you know. So, for instance, we did it for a week straight, and our kids could not tell the situation of where the runner was when they were hitting. You know, it just, it's just something that per man, they just didn't know it. Well, that's not good for us offensively, you know, like offensively that changes everything, <laughs> you know, but that's what we had a youthful, you know, very youthful team last year with a couple of seniors that were playing. So it's kind of the game's really fast to them, you know, so you, you got to adjust to yourself. Like one of those things like you're saying, like, let them know. I, I get so frustrated when it's like, okay, there's a run around first. We got a plan. We're either going to bunt here, but we don't want to go first pitch because they're anticipating that, or we're going to try and hit and run. And the dude goes up there <laughs> and swings at a garbage pitch and rolls over the. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, okay. we're going to try and steal. And then you got to go first and third. But no, instead, you hit it right to where we were trying to hit it if we were moving, but we weren't moving. So like, I've got a confession. We've only had two sack bunts in four years. We only had one hit and run in four years. And it's not it's not out of of spite of bunting. It's got nothing to do with it. It's all I tell our kids, I believe that when you walk in, it's like playing Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech. Right? You walk in there, you put pressure on that that wing tee and the, the option game. You put pressure on them by by doing your job, doing the details, you put up two or three touchdowns, their offense is now gone. Like what they've spent years and years doing. They're now not doing. They can't right? do it. So they can't, they can't do it. They can't catch up with. Now I told them, like, okay, if we get in the situation where we're not offensively talented, well, sure, like we're going to have to move the barrel. We're going to have to do some different things to, to create opportunity, you know, and not let our guys just constantly just fail, you know. So I've been blessed with five or six talented lead hitters um, each year, and I construct the lineup to kind of mend their strengths and some of our weaknesses and and one thing we've never had is elite speed you know so we've had to, to you know hit our catcher lead off because he has an on-base percentage of 65 percent like he gets on all right pinch runner like yeah. go on speed you know and, and just do different different lineup things that, that kind of cover up band-aid hour stuff you know sounds like you may have one sounds like you may have one now playing uh shortstop for you though. let me yeah. tell you let me tell you. So he is. We talked about it today. He, he is. There's just he. He kind of makes you mad because I played for a while and I did some things, and man, he's just got God given stuff I've never seen, and I can't have it. You know, like I, I want it. Like give it to me. You know, but it's just electric stuff. Uh, well, I, I think that's a perfect segue because and to start talking about the lineup creation because you know we're a week and a half, two weeks into the season right now and at some point every coach in Georgia and really around the nation has thought man that guy could hit leadoff for us or maybe maybe we should hit him too there's a lot of different ways to set it up do you have a runner in front of a power guy do you have your best hitter hit leadoff hit third whatever how do you go about constructing your lineup so um hmm. let me start from the top I don't the leadoff position to me is a weird position it's not it's not the Ricky Henderson version it's definitely not a a speed each row position for me. Um, I don't think it's a combo of both either. Um, to me, it's the guy that can can 
set our tone for us, has a good quality at bat. He's either the guy that can – well, he can bop one out if he won't put us up one nothing. Um, he can get on with a walk. He creates – he sets stuff up for us. He's not an elite speed guy, but he's not a, a clogger either. Um, so I normally put our third to fourth hitter, best hitter in that spot. Um, that's that guy that is really high in base percentage. OPS is high. Um, and we track that in the fall. Um, sorry, not the fall, but in our preseason. You know, we, we create those situations and we don't, you know, our scrimmage times aren't just here's the ball, let's go. Um, so we, we track that and that's our third or fourth best hitter. Um, our two-hole hitter, um, you take the Joe Madden world, that's not my world. Our two-hole hitter is probably our number two leadoff position or nine-hole hitter. Um, guy that can move the barrel, doesn't strike out a lot, gives us opportunities to keep balls. Never, ever, ever does he hit in the ground ball double play. We only have two of them in four years. Um, so I just don't believe – I think that's a momentum killer in high school, um, especially in our world. Um, pro ball, they don't give – they don't care. They do their own thing. Um, college is the same thing. Um, but he's our guy that can work account, um, knows the situation a lot of times, um, and is probably a, a strikeout pop-up type of barrel for us. Um, our three to four hitters, those are our guys. Our three hitter is our best one of our better hitters. I'm going to say our second best hitter. I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, but he's our potential uber athletic hitter. Like he's the guy one day is going to be in a power five, middle of the order, uh, potentially player. That's our Jace Waylocks, our Ty Pete, our Mari Collins for us. These guys all present, you know, 100 to 105 exit barrels. Um, they're young, sophomore, juniors, um, power five guys, um, stuff like that. But they're not a complete hitter. Um, they're just those guys that can they can pick you on your back one day and carry you along, or they may be in the back of the dugout going, man, I don't know what's going on, you know. Um, and then our, our four hitter is is a guy that I like um, to sandwich with our three. Um, he's that guy that's either for us. I have a I have a Ty Pete who's lefty. Um, I'm going to back him up with our second best lefty with them to kind of sandwich him um, to let him know, hey, these are how the guys are going to do it. Um, give him an opportunity to learn from Ty Pete's at bat or whoever's in front of him is at bat um, so he can have success. Our five-hitter to six-hitter is the big-risk, high-reward guy or high-risk, high-reward. So he's our guy that can boom a ball. He can strike out big, uh, you know, high averages, those guys. But they, they really aren't hitters. They're just product of um, the way we do things. Um, my seven-hitter is my best second-hitter. I mean, he is my guy I can count on because in the past for us, um, we run into these windows where it goes one, two, three, you know, and then we have a four hitter who's not a leadoff guy or has any idea what he's doing, you know. So then it's basically a four, the five guys in trouble, and the six is the you got those risk, risk people in there, and it's just it becomes a one, two, three really fast. Um, and then the seven hole hitters typically, and I've always made that a, a priority for me. Um, and the seven hitters normally what turns over the lineup, gets the eight, nine guys rolling. Um, and I will hide a guy at eight for us. I don't hide him at nine. I really hide him at, at eight. But because um, everyone goes, seven, eight, nine. You got seven, eight, nine. Here he comes. You know, and pitching <laughs> staffs do that. You know, so I want the seven hole hitter to look at it and go, all right, let's go. You know, and just lengthen us out a little bit more. Um, the eight hole hitter guy is a really talented hitter but he's just figuring it out. 
um, for us. Um, the nine hole to me is that second speed demon dude, uh, really that hard out, um, nagging out. Um, I don't care if you hit 100 or you hit 7,000. Um, I just want more than four pitches. <laughs> I want a quality AB. Um, and for us, there's some different terms for that. But, um, you know, I don't really care. If the guy's a second base and your job is to get him over at third, that's the guy we, we lean on. Um, and that's it. And, man, we won the, the title the first year. Man, we ran into Fred Rico, who was really, really talented that year. Um, they had some guys that went power five that year. Um, IMG Academy loaded them up for really good. Um, we ran into a situation where they were walking our best hitters by accident and putting windows on a kid who really wasn't that kid. Um, would hit with guys in running and scoring position. You know, we've identified some of our best guys and do. Well, he's sitting at six. You know, so game three of state championship, I flipped the entire lineup around. Took the nine, put him in the leadoff. Leadoff went to two, just lengthened us up. Took our four, put him in the six put our six guy in the four. And it was just like, what are we doing? Coaches ass freaking out. I'm like, here's why guys like this is, this is why this guy's a really good two out hitter. We're getting two out situations with these three guys because they're walking our best hitters by accident. So we ran into a window with that opportunity in the second inning and our guy comes up and bangs the ball in right center for three runs. And it's just off for the races after that. But, you know, and it, again, I think that when you're constructing lineups, you need to know your players in their swing patterns. I think that's why it's important. You know, if you if you have a guy who can back a barrel up who has deep contact ability, like that's probably a two-hole guy. Like that's a guy that can, that needs to push a runner over, needs to have good at-bats, is probably your best two-strike hitter to get to the three. You know, I always told our three, four hitters to hit with somebody on base. I don't care if they're in first. They're in, they're in scoring position to me, you know, for our guys that can bang balls around. Um, in the five, six, seven, like five, go do your thing, you know, go get us one, lengthen up the at-bats or go quick. It's up to you. You know, the six hole, let's have a little bit more awareness of what we're doing. Let's slow the game down. Let's get seven up. Like seven's that guy, you know, let's, let's go, you know? So I don't, I never move our seven hole hitter. If he's our seven from day one, he's a seven from the end. <laughs> I don't care if he's in a thousand or he's in a hundred, you know? Yeah. So. And I think it's so important what you said about a lengthening the lineup, but b not letting there be a three hitter gap where the pitcher right. can just go out and have an easy inning. You know, yeah, ten pitches, boom, he's back in the dugout. He's got his water, and and we we're just getting off the field, and all of a sudden we got to run back out there just because it was That's right. it was the bad part of the lineup. So, yep. I mean, good knowing you're, if up. you know those kids, if you know it, you don't. You should never get into that situation, I think, offensively. Now, if you're at Pope, man, like that coach, they've got dudes every year. You know, like they're power five dudes on the mound. You know, the offense is great, but they, they've got some arms to boot. You know, so we, we're getting that way, but we've had to lean on the offense and make that very, very efficient and very, very, you know, one of our staple minutes and he has his, I have ours. I want four hitters an inning. I don't care after that. It's four hitters an inning. If we get four hitters, that's an extra, you know, what, nine hitters in a game, per se. That's seven. That's seven innings. So seven there, uh, hitters per inning. And then you mix in the errors, the walks, you know, the fielder's choices and all these opportunities. Yeah, you're just lengthening, 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 you know. So my job as a coach is to say, you know, for example, I've got left-handed power hitters this year. 
um, I've got a low, I could probably roll out seven of them for, for one through seven. Well, I've never seen a lefty come in and do that to us, but for some reason, they, they, I don't know if they scout us or what, but it ends up happening where I put that, I get that opportunity, throw it in there, and it's just lefty on lefty the first four innings, you know, and it's just tough. So, um, you know, I've got Ty Pete, who's a power lefty, top 100 player in his, in his class. I've got a Jimbo Batchelor who's really talented in his area. He's a, he's a football player. Uh, Max Gosling's lefty and Amari Collins. These, all of these guys are 100-plus. So, and they're all guys that can bang ball. So, where do you put a Jace Blaylock? Who's your best hitter? Miss <laughs> four guys. You can't put him at five. You can't put him at six either after leadoff. So, you have to be kind of constructive with it. I'm okay putting base cloggers together. I mean, two doubles or two doubles. That's a run either way. I don't care if it's fast or not. You know? <laughs> so, I, you know, the speed thing, you know, a lot of guys ask me about Joe Madden's construction, the way he does it with Trout. I think he's. I think he's a smart guy. I think he's got his reasons. I just don't think it's beneficial for that. Uh, with Pujols and Justin Upton and Atani, I think you've got some other abilities to hit him, you know, three or four, and then let the other guys do their job. That's what they're paying him for. So um, do you guys do you guys force a lot of action? Do you guys run a lot? Or what, what type of – how do you – put pressure on do you help the hitters that way or are you guys just more of go out there so and... we do no we're not gonna sit in the box and just bang that's just high school you'll be in trouble in a minute <laughs> um we do more of of count construction so um taking a pitch certain areas two ones three ones running on those counts so i played for a college guy at auburn that was with sonny galloway and the guy never played past juco won a thousand games won a national championship um super intelligent dude um, super intelligent recruiting. I mean, high school, uh, it was Tim Tadlock was there doing the recruiting for him. He's a Texas Tech's coach now, um, Texas Tim. So they're, look, that, that group was really, really special. But he told me something that he always ran on two twos and three ones. Um, two twos, hitters don't, or pitchers don't want to get to three two. So there's some kind of forcible action pitch that you can go on. And we're relying on the hitter to, to pass on it, what he calls it. So move the barrel. Um, and then the three ones is the same thing. Like they're not going to try to walk you. They're coming after you. Right. So move the barrel there. So we get in those situations. And I told, I asked him, I said, what if the guy's at second base? He goes, we're running. Don't care, boy. And I said, okay, fair. And I'll be daggummed if it didn't work every single time because it's just a movable pitch. It's a movable, you know, you think about a two, two in our world, if you're running two, two and coach pitching coach calls a slider, like good luck trying to throw a guy at third. You know, you better have an elite catcher that can pick that ball up and throw it around a hitter that's swinging a barrel, you know, or having a good take. Um, so we, we force actions on counts. We force action in, in how we, you know, take our bag. So we'll push it. If it's a, a runner that can run, if that ball's in the outfield, if he thinks he can go, we'll push it. Um, we cut the bags from one to first to third. I played with Gabe Gross um, that was at Auburn, the hitting coach there, and we had an entire fall first to third didn't matter where the ball was hit it's hit right at the second you know right left fielder right at the outfielders we ran and we forced them to throw us out um so that's what we offensively that's what we do um we, we've never had some some speed um i just don't believe in uh, the bunting arena i think that i give them the option you know the first four innings if, if you show me that you can you're on time that the pitch isn't 
you know, the pitcher's not overwhelming you with his stuff, right, that we have good at bat. I'll rely on that rather than, you know, the, the be able to bunt and push a guy over. Because to me, you're still putting a kid, you know, in a situation to hit with runners in scoring position. If he's not that guy, like, what's the point? You know, to me, that's my personality. Um, and I heard Coach from Pope talk about that. Um, and a lot of our guys feel that anxiety of when they're more there in, in scoring position. It just never works for me. And I watch it a lot. Like, we, we get it to happen to us all the time. And I tell our offense and our pitcher, you know, we, we do our defense and they're listening, you know, and I tell them, hey, if this guy bunts, man, who cares? We put it in our pocket. Okay. You guys are first and second, no outs. Let's get a ground ball. It's two outs, guys, third base. Numbers will show you that, that the percentage of, of runs there is low, you know, it's just, but it's all about can you deal with that risk? Can you live on the edge? Um, so, I mean, it's an out there thought, but for us, it allows our pitchers just to pitch, our defense, our defenders just to defend and not overstretch them, um, not overthink it, not over pressurize it. Um, if you're going to bunt, you know, let's say you bunt every inning. I played to the guy that did that and John Pulaski. As soon as the guy got on in that transition in college with that BB4, I mean, it was, here it is. Guy's at second base. All right, well, now we have two chances to hit against Ryan Stanek and not one or not three. Like, good luck. Like, hitting elite arms isn't going to work. So what were the two reasons uh, you bunted? What the are the reasons I did? Yeah. So we were playing – is it when so we uh, Vernon. was it when Alcuna was on third base and Ozzy Albies was up the bat in the uh, NL? Uh, no, no. <laughs> I hated that. One, but I, look, look, to each his own, man. Teach his own. But I'll tell you this: I've been in that that arena. Them guys don't bunt in, after spring in spring training, so I don't want to hear that they're athletes. That they're whatever. Don't do it. Hook a ball, get him over to third base. How about that? That's right. How about this? Go be a left-handed hitter that you've been all year and pull it. Yeah, yeah. You know? Thank you. Just turn Nick it over. Would... Answer, Tom. Yeah. There you go. Turn it over. To give you a little yeah, background on this. To give you a little background on this. This was a big discussion that Tom and I had. Uh, was it two years ago? Yeah. Coach, when uh, the was, Cardinals. I guess we played the Cardinals. It was game. I was six. at the game, by the way. Yeah, the decisive <laughs> game, and Ozzy was up, runner on second. Tom wants to bunt him. I say we got a lefty no, up there. Kuna was at third. Kuna was at third. <laughs> no, it was saying we're trying to bunt him over. I was no. like, Ozzy, just hook it, man. Just go out around one, hook a ground ball. What's he do? He pops up to second. Yeah. And I've got to hear about it for the next three years. So yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a it's a, always a topic. Every every time you watch our World Series, everyone's begging for a bunt. Like even this World Series, you know, they're asking for the bunt. So I'm like, man, the, the chances, Ozzy has that opportunity and he bangs the ball is really high compared to giving it the barrel to someone else, you know, like, and it's not a hotter who's not like, that's what John Joe Madden has taught me a little bit is it's by the numbers. Like what gives you the best chance based off of the arsenal, based off of what the guy does, what his miss is. Um, and Tiger Woods talks about that a lot, you know, like if, if my misses were good, that's when I won the Tiger slam. It had nothing to do with when he was hot. Like, he was actually going through a swing change when he was winning. So, when you go through a swing change and you're winning, why are you making swing changes? Well, it's for him to sustain the success long term. Well, that's a different thought. That's a rare breed. You know, that's why he's Tiger Woods. But when you talk about those guys in those situations, bunting 100 mile an hour and then bunting a 91 mile slider successfully? Yeah. No, sir. Not happening. 
you know, <laughs> and you can, you can play the odds. Like it, it, you just don't ever see it. You know, Butch Thompson talks about it. There's, there's, you know, Stephen Williams at bat, and then there's Auburn University at bat, you know, and I ask you the bun, that's an Auburn University at bat. That's the postseason, you know, and Gabe's a big, heavy, situational bunner. I think that's a good way to describe us. So we're playing Mount Vernon, who Tim Beckman is, is over there, and, and he has some really good players that year. And um, my, I finally got healthy that year. He gets canned in third inning. So he's gone in the third inning. It goes to the 13th inning. So you can imagine, like, we're running out of arms. Like, this is for the region. Like, if they if we had lost, they go down to three. If we win, they go we go up to two. We don't have to play certain people. Like, I'm all in. <laughs> I'm hands in, you know. So we end up starting a kid, um, our best player, um, goes six innings. Well, I mean, they're gone. You know, six to 13, that's two different games. So we end up throwing some guys in there and mixing it in. Well, I got in a situation where I got a, a, a junior kid who hasn't touched the field in three years. Um, now, he's he's a talented player, but he just hadn't figured it out yet. Um, so, <laughs> funny thing is, I didn't even call the bunt. We're in a situation where our, our leadoff guy gets on the bag, and he calls Tom, Coach, come here. Think I can bunt this situation? Let's do it. I'm in. Yeah. Let's go. You know? So, he lays it down perfectly. The guy ends up putting it in his pocket. First and second, we bang a ball. Uh, tie it up. That's early in the 10th inning or something, and then we ended up winning off a walk-off homer, but um, and the second time we did it was I actually called it. didn't happen. Um, the guy missed it and did something else. I think he got backpicked or something, so um, I was like, nope, not doing it ever again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it, you know, I, we just hadn't been in a situation where I think in high school where, you know, I could be wrong. I haven't coached a long time, but the two-to-ones, the three-to-ones, the, the, the close games, it rarely comes down to a bunt, you know, or a hitting and score. But just there's something else that goes on in there. Like, hey, it's Kumar record this day. Like, we're not going to hit four balls hard. Let's go scratch one. You know, and I think if you have that mindset, that's when Kumar gets you. Like, if you're playing that that kind of approach, it's really difficult to ask a leadoff guy against Kumar to get on. You know, so you you, you have to do something else. Like, it, it – you have to put pressure in their areas and attack it. That's what I crave. I crave attacking those type of kids and those type of players because they've never been attacked. They've always been on the attack. They've never been hunted, and we hunt. Doesn't matter how hard you throw, you know. So, um, I mean, construction of lineup, mechanical stuff, uh, defending, bunting—it all goes into a pile of winning, right? That's what we're trying to do anyway. You know, whatever you need that day, that tool that day, go do it. Now, I don't harp on anybody that, that bunts, but we just attend to use our weapon in a different area, which is to each his own. Yeah. That's why we do this attack <laughs> angle. That's your attack uh, angle. So. Exactly. Good point. <laughs> cool little name, by the way. <laughs> I'm just kind of. But um... that is another segue. I know we got to probably wrap things up here soon, but I do want to ask because I'm very interested in the technology that you guys use. You say you have a rap soda. You say you have a track man. Uh, I would guess that everybody listening to this show right now is very, very jealous. Um, mm -hmm. yes. What are some of the metrics that you focus on? I know we, we use diamond kinetics. You guys use blast. Uh, what are some of the metrics that you really focus on with your guys? And if you said that word to them, they would know exactly what you were talking about. So we really harped on um, 
when we got the blast, um, early connection degrees. It, it, it matters. It's a big number. Um, and there's a, a specific subscription you can get with blast that they show you your pelvic tilt in a different way, um, which is a really cool piece for us because, you know, in the big leagues, they maintain 85% of their elite swings, right? So their posture is, is elite 85% of the time. Okay. So we tend to look at, okay, all right, if you have a 35 degrees tilt in the pelvic and your vertical bat angle is down, right, and it's missing some areas, well, you take the vertical bat angle minus early connection, there's the problem that he's coming out too early or he's staying in his posture too much. Um, so there's a couple of things that we, we were messing around with and found by chance um, with some of our players because we had a kid who, who it's funny enough, who's at Mercer playing golf. Um, so he had this ability to take the outside corner fastball and, and pull it at a 30-degree angle, and that was his best swing, right? So we were trying to figure out, like, is that going to work? Is that a thing? Or is he just, like, getting lucky, you know? And, and we, we decided, okay, all right, this kid, he's not a, you know, stand up tall, go down and get it like a golfer. Like, he's Albert Pujols. Like, he has the ability to just drop and turn and really, really lift because of his, of, his, of his internal rotations and stuff that he has. When you look on the blast, he is literally matching when he was bad. He's matching the pelvic vertical bout angle, you know, because they have a number that they want to attack for that. Um, and minus those two numbers, and there's the pelvic tilt right there. So he was staying out of it really, really quick instead of getting in it and then turning it out. Um, so our guys would know the vertical bat angle, why it's important. Now, you tag that with the wrap soda, you'll know that the spins matter. The knob around the, of the center of the belly button, less spin. The less spin, the higher batting average, higher slugging centers. So our guys know that 19 to 21 spins is where we need to be. Now, we don't, we don't go after that. Like, we don't chase those. That's just something we go after uh, after practice, and we just say, hey, you know, remember when we were talking about why that ball got caught? Like, why our outfitter ran it down? Because it's at 4,000 spins. Like, it just ballooned out. You know, so what does that mean? Okay, let's check it out. Did you come in too steep? Did you launch too low? You know, all those kinds of questions. And when we first did it, guys, it was a very – it was scary for me because I kind of operate in – if I don't know it 100%, I'm not going to tell people. You know, I'm not going to tell our kids because I just don't know if you – know, they ask that question, like, am I going to get caught? Um, so I dug deep. I ended up having a buddy I played with at Auburn who's in California selling these things for blast motion. So I end up going to ABCA clinic in uh, Nashville. We meet up. He shows me these diagrams. He shows me what they've been tracking at Cape Cod League. He's showing me some things at the output, input, uh, the power outages that the guys are in, in the G's in that area um, and why that's important. Well, you hit a certain number of swings a day in a certain month. Like these guys are all just – they're plateaued out and they're just going downhill. So that's when I backed off the 200 swings because if those elite players aren't doing it, like we won't be able to do it, Yeah, you know, and just timing them out a little bit better. Um, and all that comes through basically a coach just sitting behind a computer and just, and just trying to dive in on it. And if you have the time, like I did, you know, why not? So we use that the track man numbers. Um, that's just for our records and our kind of, um, I'm not going to say our record. It's not fair. Um, we use them for the, the extensions in our pitchers. We've noticed that some of our guys had arm issues. Their arm slots would drop. Some guys tend to go up. Um, we had a guy who was 95-96 with his 
due to his spin rate, we were asking him to throw balls down. Well, high spin rates, he live up in the zone. He went from 88 to 94 within one pitch. Um, so I say I bought a pitching a pitcher coach. I really literally just bought one um, and just, you know, and just took his spin numbers and, and, and uh, did it that way. So um, I just re-engineered it. You know, I, I went back and, and looked at it as a hitter, you know, what numbers would, would get me, you know, what would be my nemesis and just redid it for our pitchers and understand how they window those, those pitches, window those opportunities. Um, and if they're a ground ball guy or are they a strikeout guy? Are you an up in the zone guy? Or are you a down in the zone guy? Um, so it kind of just defines everybody's roles based off of what they are. So, and it's very difficult pitching, very difficult to just throw a driveline program at them and just go, hey, don't hurt yourself. You know, so <laughs> I, difficult. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting too to hear you say that the lower spin, the better. I mean, you hear like the whole swing down thing is I want to backspin the ball. I really want to backspin it. Well, there's a certain level in which that backspin actually hurts you. Um, yeah, so I, I, I there's two coaches. Really there's two coaches I ran into that you probably need to follow if you're because you're young guys. And, and Coach Sheets has got one. He's got a rap study machine they use. He's not a young guy, but he's in the young mindset of of tracking stuff. Um, and then Bailey Montgomery from Butler University, man, he 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 calls me out on some things, and, and there's some things I call him out on. So it's a cool relationship, but. We dove into the vertical bat angle and how it relates to the spin and how that, that translates into the swing pattern. Um, so if a guy is really, let's say he's six foot three, he gives me the specs of a kid, um, and I look at his spins, I'm like, okay, well, he's, he's living in a you know, pretty high range here. Like, it's 3,500, 4,000. The barrel exit velocity is good. I'm like, this guy's got to be hammering balls over the fence. I'm like, wait, 4,000, like, that's ballooning. He's probably losing 20, 30 feet. That ball's getting caught, you know? So – we kind of understood, all right, this guy needs posture. He needs to rotate the barrel around the, the belly button, not the spine, the belly button, because that's attached to our spine, but that's what they know. Um, and we're trying to get a, a higher vertical bat angle. So we're really trying to get it steeper. And how that works behind you is really, really cool. That's what Bailey's really, really gifted at, is he can see that bat path behind him, um, which is a unique, unique thing. Um, you don't really get that from young guys that, that uh, understand that behind the barrel path is better than out in front. Um, so, but yeah, um, I think it's just like you ever watch a long drive conversation or competition and yeah, those guys are searching for a straight line number. Um, you know, we talked, we discussed a little bit in the text messages, but man, like those power positions, those hockey guys get into some of these, these, pow, these, these pro golfers get into, they're pretty identical situations, like positions they're in. Um, one's moving, one's not. Um, you know, but you, you're producing a, a ball that's moving over 100. Like, that's that's an elite movement, you know? Like, even a hockey plug, like, there's a guy I ran across on Twitter, which Twitter, hashtag hitting Twitter is ridiculous. But um, <laughs> you go in there, the best thing I found is I found a, a you know, a slap shot of a, of a hockey, Alex Ovechkin and Mike Trout. And low ball hitter Mike Trout looks identical to Alex Ovechkin in the a top shelf slap shot. I mean, he's taking something that has no launch angle and producing it to a launch angle. And Charles taking a negative degree angle ball and producing it back out to a higher one. I mean, it, to me, my brain works like that. And I'm like, man, I'm interested in that. And our feet aren't moving. You know, like hockey guys can't just turn their ice, you know, their skate that way. You know, Mike Charles never does either. 
you know. So it, it's it's unique. I think that hitting's in a great spot. I also think that people take advantage of it and and talk. You know, technology's bad. Technology's this. It'll go away. Um, you know, I joke in our text messages that like my some of my coaches, man, they would they hear some of the stuff that comes out of my mouth. They may slap me. <laughs> you know, it may be they may laugh at me, but they're not teaching the same kids that, that we were back then. You know, it's just different with the smartphones and Twitter and Instagram and, and everything that these guys have access to, man. It's, it's, you need to, you need to dive into the language and understand it. Um, I think, you know, so there's that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I mean, that, that's, yeah. Figure out the information, look at it, dive into it, understand it. So you can actually explain it to those kids. Cause they want to know, like, that's, that's like what they crave. Like they want to know the information. I made rules that if I would never make a change to a kid, if it did not equate into hitting the ball harder. Um, so I had to look in, we bought a pitch smart, the radar system. Uh, I think the pocket radar system, the pro one. Um, now I've been gifted with some really cool booster clubs, really cool dads. Um, they want to buy so a win reality system. I've got three hack attacks. Like I've been blessed you know, in that department to have those abilities to do those things. Um, but then it's about applying it and in, in can one man really undertake it all. But um, yeah, when you look at, I never made a change or never will make a change that to a kid that just doesn't equate in just hitting it harder. It doesn't have to be higher. It's just got to be harder. You know, if, if you're a kid now, I will tell you, I do believe that most kids can achieve, uh, 85 exit velocity at 30 degrees that's a homer in any park in america down the line so um we, we teach our kids that we teach it center field so it's 30 to left 15 to 20 to center 10 to 15 backside and i teach them the why i teach them the approach as it goes to the field like hey that ball is in or half like on the corner the only way you're going to get it is at 30 if you go down on it you're going to cut across it probably not even swing at it at all anyway um, you know, if you're trying to go dead center at 10 to 15, newsflash, that's the best athlete out there in center field. So if you're hitting higher than that, and it better be 150, or that guy's catching it. Um, you know, so in the right side of the field is the biggest arm. So if I got a guy in second base, if I'm hitting it, you know, let's say 10 to 15, I better know exactly where that's going to land because if, you know, or don't choose that pitch. Like, just don't choose those. If you're not a guy that can drive that ball, that guy's going to throw us out at home plate and it ain't going to be worth it, you know? So, but that's just stuff that we slowly introduce. Like it's not, it's not a data dump. Like it, it sounds, you know, it sounds crazy when you hear it, but these kids understand that. They would rather understand that than just, hey, you need to go backside in the four hole here, you know, or you need to hit it in the six hole or you need to do this, you need to do that. You know, they don't, you know, I heard that coach from Pope. And we were talking about the go, the OO go with the flow, right? I love that, right? But then he's got a, a two strike kind of an approach swing. He's got an up count approach swing. You know, he's got kind of a different swing. Well, that's most hitting approach guys. They got swings for different counts, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. It's been successful. But I always tend to keep our swing, teach our guys the approach, right? It takes more time, but teach them when they're in those windows. And a lot of guys don't teach. You know, when you come to training, you don't hear two-strike approach. You hear how you got the two, why you got to the two strikes, what that matters, what information that, that is. 
and how you can combat that because that's what pitchers see. They don't, you know, they are who they are on the mound. Like they're not coming with a new arsenal. You know, it is what it is. You know, so if that guy's got a punch out pitch and he's making you look crazy on it, like it's coming again. I don't care if he throws a fastball up, he's just showing it. You know, so you teach them the how they got to the two strikes and then they understand a little bit more how to attack it. So that's just a little nugget there. But also on the other side of that, kudos to you for taking the time to understand the technology, understand what it means and, and applying it back to the kids. Cause you know, a lot of people get these opportunities and just don't take advantage of it to really understand what's in front of them. Um, you know, cause there's a lot of, like you said, a lot of Twitter hitters out there that, or pitching Twitter pitchers that, you know, yeah. put out information that they just heard and they're just trying to get a couple clicks on it and it, it doesn't relate to anything that's going on. So Kudos to you on, on really having a deep understanding of the, the technology end of it and applying it to your team. Uh, so I just think awesome it's cool. <laughs> I think it's like a new PlayStation 5. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know, like being able to look at a guy's spin rate and go, man, like that's what it would have done if it had no gravity. That's yeah. so cool. You know? Well, it just – and kind of going back and this just reverting back to, like, the the whole pitch count. The pitchers got ahead of it because they had the technology to understand that the up fastball look harder – and they understood different ways to attack hitters. Well, the hitters didn't really have that technology in the beginning to catch back up. Now hitters are starting to understand what pitches are being attacked by them and seeing those and understand where they are and finding those those holes that you talked about to attack and, and when they can attack. So, um, yep, you know. I think that Trevor Bauer's the best at it. You know, I think he does a really good job. Of, but he's been, I think they're 10 years ahead of us. I think they will be 10 years ahead of us. I think at some point it'll it'll even out it'll equate back and it's just going to be about that hitting coach or that guy being able to execute what he wants to execute, you know, and that's going to come back to the, the coach, right. To be able to get that guy to understand exactly what he's doing and why. Yeah. Right. And then it's going to be really cool. Like baseball is going to be a good spot after that because it's going to be come down to, Hey, I know your weakness, you know, mine, let's go. Yeah. You know, let's see who wins. Well, I mean, I I think from a pitching standpoint, you know, back in the back in the day, you know, it was more attack outside fastball. Like that was the thing, away, 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 force guys to hit it opposite field, and then it was they caught on to that, and then they moved into jamming guys inside. Well, guys made the adjustment, the hitters made the adjustment to that. Now it's moving the ball up and down, in and out, in all those different directions, and understanding your velocity, your spin, whatever it may be, to those those metrics and how to attack a hitter and it'll slowly each time hitters have caught up, but it's easier for pitchers to get ahead on that. Um, developing those pitches to, to stump those hitters. So I've always said that the curveball is the nemesis to it all. If you have a good, like Trevor Bauer throws it, I think 12% of the time, I mean, it's just enough to give that extra window that it's an up and down. And that's the one that, that no matter, it's really tough to hit. The slider guys can get around, they can wrap it, you know, the fastball up in the zone, you can catch it every now and then. The cutter, it may not cut, but that breaking ball, it goes up and down. The Barry Zito one, the Adam Wainwright, those guys are really, really talented in history. Like they've had a true curveball banger that's just spinning and up and down, and it's just hard to hit. You can't, you can't do much with it. So, but I always said that was a killer. Well, I, I laugh when we figure that out. I laugh when we put the the, the curveball machine on in the cages and stuff. It takes kids, I don't know what. 
10, 12 swings before they start finding the, to match the angle to get going. Oh, yep. I mean, you just watch them. They're coming yeah. over the top, over the top, and those kids yeah. are swinging through, swinging through, and it's like, hey, you got to match the plane, got to match the plane. It takes them 10 to 12 swings before they start catching onto it and seeing that plane matching that that pitch coming in to to get in line. So, yeah. Well, it comes I, I, out the window the right way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that, too. I mean, you, you know, you've got so much guys are tunneling pitches, and they're – Fastball's coming out in the exact same spot as the breaking ball, and they're traveling that way for five, ten feet, and then all of a sudden they change direction. And at that point, yep. you can't – you already have to have made a decision, so you look stupid. You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what do you do? You know, like, Trevor Bowers getting guys and swinging balls in the dirt. I'm like, yeah, that's tough to hit, dude. Yeah, like, I, exactly. people do that. Like, that's it. That's, that's just how it is, you know? So, but, yeah. Well, Coach, that was awesome. Um I think we're wrapping right around. That's like hour 20. So uh, we're going to have to have you back on because I think we haven't even really dug really, you know, we dug deep, but we there's a lot of more holes that we can go down. And, and uh, just like in our text message thread that we had going on, it, it, I think somebody sent one text and I looked back and I had like 40 text messages of these just long paragraph or long paragraph. Yeah. Not anything of the same conversation. It was some other avenue going down and, and and that's the awesome part of connecting with all you guys out there is that we get in these conversations and we don't know where it's going to go and, and learn something new every day so um kudos to you coach um as Thanks, always man. um you can find you on twitter uh rake with blake um he's he's always right. on there dropping stuff so we always that's appreciate right. that um best of luck to your team this season um i hope practice has been going great everybody stays healthy and we, we continue to have a season um because it was pretty depressing last year. So, yeah, um, not good. But, Coach, once again, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. We we enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. If you need anything from us, just let yeah. us know. Love to connect and, and have you back on and, and dig a little bit deeper. Like to do a roundtable, yeah. get a few coaches on here that uh, of all the hitters. Absolutely. And, and kind of just talk about it and hash out some. That would be stuff. epic. So, yeah. that would be epic. I like that idea. I appreciate you guys having me on, man. Absolutely. Yeah. It was awesome. And next rain day, we may be taking a trip down to your place to play on the uh, track man. Track man. Come on. Come on now. We, we will be trying to pull everything down the line, just to let you know. So. Trying to get a flight, though, but I think we can get that done. Yeah. So That'd be I awesome. Like that'd be sweet. All, All right. right. If you guys need anything, let me know. Sounds good. Appreciate well, it, uh, I hope our paths yeah. cross again and, and talk to you soon. And best of luck to you guys this season. Appreciate it. Y'all too. Well, that was awesome. Again, Coach Austin, thank you for your time. We appreciate it so much. And I hope you guys realize how many awesome coaches we got across the state. A lot of good information provided by them. Um, but anyways, if you guys are also interested, please check out fungometrics.com, one of the official sponsors of our podcast. Check it out. It's good information. Helps you organize your team's data. Uh, put it all in one place for you to collect that information. Um, take the time. Fungometrics.com. But anyways, guys, I hope you stay safe, uh, stay healthy, and keep grinding away on that diamond. We will talk to you soon. Have a good one. Bye.